Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I'm your host, John Robb, of course, with my fabulous co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. How about your Dodgers? Okay, and that's the end of tonight's show with Jeff. We're going to bring <laughs> Linwood on by himself, and Jeff's going to now be off the air. No. <laughs> but no, you know what? They, they lost, but that's okay. At least they made it, Mariners fan. Um <laughs> But we do have a very, uh, very special true. guest tonight, and our, and our very special guest is none other than uh, New York Times bestseller, number one international bestselling author, Linwood Barclay, to talk about the wrapping up here of his trilogy within Promise Falls and the latest book, which is called The 23. It comes out November 1st, so make sure if you're listening to the show um, now or before November 1st, that you can pre-order that now. You can go to Amazon and get that up in whatever format you want it in, and that is available on November 1st. So let's not waste any time, Jeff, and let's bring him on right now. Linwood, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm just great. Pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate you, you coming back on. And, yeah, and especially talking here about the, um, the end now of the Promise Falls trilogy within the series, the 23 it's now, like we said, it comes out November 1st. So why don't you kind of lead – can you kind of give everybody a little bit about the trilogy within and then kind of leading it into the 23 for fans who might just be finding this out? Absolutely, sure. I mean, the, 20, the, the trilogy began uh, slightly more than a year ago with the book Broken Promise, which was part one. Part two, which was Far From True, came out in, in March and now we have the conclusion. So we've had all three books out within, uh, you know, just slightly over a year. And uh, as with some of my other books, it is set in this mythical, uh, this uh, make-believe place in upstate New York called Promise Falls. And uh, books one and two, Broken Promise and, and Far From True, are in some ways kind of standalone stories. There's a sort of separate story in each, but building in, uh, uh, there's a sort of story building in the background in those two novels that seems to suggest that there's somebody who has it in for everybody in Promise Falls who has some kind of axe to grind. And there have been all these rather bizarre, strange incidents that occur over those two books that involve the number 23. So in the first book, I mean, that somebody finds 23 dead squirrels hanging from a fence and a, and a carriage with the number 23 on it in a decommissioned Ferris wheel in a bankrupt amusement park lights up one night and starts spinning around. And in it are these three mannequins with an ominous kind of warning painted on them. Um, in the second book, we have a, a rather catastrophic incident involving the last night of business of a drive-in theater, which collapses at 23 minutes past 11, or, you know, in military time, 23-23. And so all these things have been building, and, and all of that just explodes in the third and the final book, in the 23, where we'll get all of our answers to, you know, who's behind uh, a couple of, you know, a, a sort of minor incidents of serial killing. Like this. There's been two or three murders that are, appear to be linked. Um, there's this whole business of the 23 
all of the things that people have been wondering about in the first two books, all those questions will be answered. But 23, this, that backstory explodes in a very, very big way. Um, having read 23, I completely agree with what you just said. Um, I I sort of think of it as one giant novel in a sense. So I'm kind of curious, when you were approaching this trilogy, mm-hmm. how did you organize it? Well, I I did want to do something that was a bit different. So I've been doing essentially standalone novels since about 2008, 2007. And although one of those books was a bit of was sort of a, a sequel to an earlier one, but most of them standalone. So I thought, well, what can I do? To sort of up my game. What can I do that's a bit different? And and came up with this idea of doing three linked novels. So and I think that goes back to the fall of 2013, where I first started thinking about how I would do it. And the first thing I really had to think about was what's the backstory? What is this the overarching story? What's the what is the what's the thread that's going to carry through the three novels? And once I had more or less nailed that down, I thought, well, now I can sort of decide on a a, a story, a separate storyline in book one and another one in book two. But I can also find ways that I can weave those into the twenty-three story. And when I was getting ready to do it, I, I mean, I've typically like like a lot of us who 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 write thrillers and crime novels and so forth, we're on a kind of a book a year regimen you know every every september or october there's the new lee child or there's the new michael Connolly. so you know you're on this kind of book a year thing so i thought well i'll write one a year over and we'll do a little more over over the next three years but then i thought well what if i get to book three and i think of something really great that needed to be set up in book one and that book's been sitting on the shelf at barnes and noble for the last 12 months they hate it if you go into the store and start editing copies right there on the shelf, you know. So I thought, I'm just going to write them back to back. I'll just write them back to back. And that way I'll have time to and, – and so I, instead of writing one book every 12 months, I wrote all three books in the trilogy over 15 months. And as it turned out, I was actually writing book three as I had the page proofs for book one. And I even made some very minor changes on those proofs based on what I was doing in book three. And, of course, the great thing was, I thought, now that I've written all three of them, I can like, put my feet up on the desk for two years and do absolutely nothing and make my wife's life a living hell. And and uh, But the publisher said, well, this is great. They're all done. Why don't we tighten the publishing schedule? Because if you're writing a trilogy, people think, well, where's the next one? We want the next one. We want it now. And we can, instead of having to wait 12 months, they'll only have to wait like seven or eight and so that was the plan, and there went my two years off. It just shot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they just took that right off from under you just in one fell swoop, isn't it? I know, and they're they're cruel on so many levels, and this was just a new one. Yeah. But uh, but I've got so, I've just I've decided to just cope with that and carry on. So you mentioned that when you decided that this was what you were going to do and you wanted to kind of push yourself as an author, did you find anything kind of out about yourself while you were writing that you kind of rediscovered or discovered within the trilogy that maybe you never really knew you had in you? or, or did, I mean, was there some surprise that kind of came out from yourself? I think maybe looking at the thing I really found out is that I will probably never write another trilogy. Um 
because first of all, because of the of just my my work habit and my and the way I am, if I did another one, I would feel I had to do it the same way, which is write them back to back. And writing three novels in fifteen months, it just about killed me. So I don't know if I would do it again. I could see doing a sort of continuing story, you know, like a character and follow them through from one book to the next and see what happens. Then I could see doing that, perhaps someday. But uh, but three books that are really linked together in terms of plot, I'm not sure I would do. And you know, and it was and it was kind of interesting because there was the reaction was kind of uh, even from the publishers there was there were a lot of issues about well will we tell everybody in book one will we clearly telegraph it to readers that this is a trilogy because there's always this fear well if we tell people it's a trilogy they'll think well I'm not going to buy buy books one or two until number three is out or will they think well I don't want to get involved in something that's going to be two more books and so it's this so the publishers were all debating well do we do we really advertise that factor we tell them or not so then they decided to sort of soft pedal it and then people would read the book and then they'd say well i got to the end and it's there's all these questions that aren't resolved what's wrong with you <laughs> you know like how come you didn't no. figure this all out i wanted to say no there's more coming there's more coming so in terms of marketing it was a curious thing to kind of to deal with but i think now the upside is you know, within a you know within a few days, all three of them are out, and and a lot of people, even my sister-in-law, you know, had who loves my books and had said, I'm going to wait till the last one's out, and then I'm going to read all of them. So now people are having this opportunity to binge. You know, they can get Broken Promise, Far From True, and the 23, and they can go through the whole thing at once, which is basically what my wife did because she, as soon as uh, as soon as we had the ARCs, the advanced copies of book one, and she read it, and she said. I have to know, and so the other two I gave her, you know, on the laptop, and she was able to read the next two because she just felt she had to have them right away. But it was, it was, uh, in terms of the actual writing, I think it was easier, other than trying to do too many, do, do them all together. But it was kind of easier because it was one big story. So it wasn't like when I got to the second book or the third, I had to start from scratch. I already had my characters. I had, you know, the the car was already running. Like when I when I started book two, I just got in close door and just kept on going. So in that sense, I think that it was easier to do three linked books. Well, since you had the car running, <laughs> I'm curious if particular characters changed. Did you decide to kill someone or decide to save somebody? And most important, did you know who the killer was going in? I. I did know I did know who had even by, by as soon as I started book one, I knew who'd done what, and oh. and I really needed to know because I mean I, I everything that you're going to find out in the third book I knew going in with the first, and uh, and I needed to because and some of the little clues and so forth because like, I think you need to you know still kind of play fair with the reader. There are clues I think in book one that set up what happens in book three. So I knew that. There were lots of the other, lots, plenty of other details I had no idea. I didn't discover them until I was writing it. But the basic structure of who was responsible for what, I knew from the outset. Okay. Interesting. Now, when, when you're sitting down and you're deciding that this is kind of the path that you were going to take, and that this is what you were going to do. When you decided to kind of put the characters together, was there something that you wanted to make sure that you got across? Was, was there a certain character that you, that you really maybe put more effort in, more time in, 
um, maybe he was a little more difficult or she was a little more difficult. Do you kind of have like that standout character that maybe surprised you a little bit in the way that you didn't really know would come out the way that they did? Uh, that's a great question. It's, I mean, uh, just to, before I've been quite trying to answer that, each of the three books is told primarily from a different point of view. Uh, the first book is told from the point of view of David Harwood, who was a reporter at the local paper. Book two is largely told from the point of view of Cal Weaver, a private detective. And the third book is told from the point of view of Barry Duckworth, who is uh, a detective with the Promise Falls Police. So the point of view shifts somewhat through the books. Um, but one character who is a real constant through all three that I just love is a guy named Randall Finley who first shows up in my novel Too Close to Home back to 2008. And and it's funny, I mean, I invented him nearly a decade ago. And people will read it and say, isn't this guy based on either Donald Trump or <laughs> the, the former, and I have to say now late, Toronto Mayor Rob Ford, our famous crack-smoking mayor from here who the whole world knew about because he has a lot of their sort of characteristics, which is sort of full of bluster and arrogance and profanity and and complete self-absorption. And that's Randall Finley. And I love his character because he's so much fun to write. I love everything that he, you know, that comes out of his mouth because it's so outrageous. And the other thing that I, and as I got writing the book, and I think this would be the one that surprised me, maybe for myself, was we see, we see another side of him, because all he ever is really in the first novel I did years ago, Too Close to Home, all he ever was was a jerk, and and we discover I think over the course of the trilogy that there's more to him than just that. And uh, and that was that was nice to write. It was fun to write about him. Nice. I, I I was um, honestly amazed by the high body count. I'm just letting you know that in advance here. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is not a. And I, and I, a, I yeah. There's not really by what? the end of the 23. There's I mean uh, they would have had to have gone around and changed all the pot the signs that say population as you come into the town. Uh, I mean, you're kind of rivaling Kevin O'Brien with the body count now, and that well, guy killed really, people. <laughs> it's really book three where that kind of happens because there is a there is a catastrophic event that kicks off book three. Yeah. I mean, I think my body count in the first twenty pages exceeds everything else I've probably done in the last ten years, and um, so it does have yes, it does have. It's funny. I had a I had a woman who sent me a note on Facebook the other day. And she said, I really liked the book, but I thought that the body count, there were just too many. No, not, not, this, not this many people these, you know, could not all die in this one town. And I wrote her back and I said, never go to Derry, Maine. You know, and, and uh, yeah, cause, exactly. you know, like, I mean, the stuff that happened to poor people in Stephen King's town, I mean, I mean, that's still, sometimes just, just some towns you just don't want to go to. And, nope. And I don't even think Promise Falls, I don't even think I would drive into it just to find a McDonald's. I think just go hit the bypass, just go right past Promise Falls. <laughs> well, and if just Fletcher Don't stop at the McDonald's. <laughs> That's right. Don't stop at the McDonald's. Don't, stop, don't go anywhere. And especially in the third book, don't stop anywhere for a coffee, um, which will become right. clear to yes. people once they start reading. Don't go anywhere for a coffee. 
you know, like give, give a wide berth to any water fountain in Promise Falls. Well, talk a bit about Promise Falls. Why do you keep going back to this town? Well, I, you know, I, I just, I, I like the idea of a, of a, it's a large town or a small city, I guess I call it. It's not, it's not huge, but it's, I like a, I like a place like that because first of all, it's, it's not so big like a Manhattan that it's kind of unwieldy, but it's not, you know, some little town like Jessica Fletcher used to live in where, but some new person got killed every single week. I mean, there's a town you don't want to go to. And, uh, right. And so it's it's in a way it's kind of like a although it's not but it's like it's like an island you know it's this self-contained uh, this organism where that people can bounce off each other and where if one person runs into another it's not an unlikely coincidence I mean it's believable and it's so it's this kind of nice unit you can work within and in some ways I kind of picture. Um, a place called Peterborough, Ontario, where I had my first newspaper job and where I went, where I went to university. And Peterborough is a lovely place. It's not like they're not all dropping dead like they are in Promise Falls, but <laughs> but it, I kind of picture a place like Peterborough when I write about Promise Falls. And uh, so, but you know, I I I think this I've written I've, Promise Falls has been the setting for a few of my other books that were not part of the trilogy. It's it's featured too close to home. It's in Never Look Away. It's also uh, the town, although it's less of a feature, but it's also the uh, the town where the brothers live in a book I wrote called Trust Your Eyes. And there's going to be, there will be one more Promise Falls novel after, post-trilogy, and then I think I'm done with them. I'm moving, I'm moving out. I'm getting a van, and I'm taking everything out of Promise Falls. We're gone. But you got to leave a blanket behind just in case you want to take one more night back there, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to have it hit by a meteorite or anything. I mean, the town right. will still be there if I should I ever wish to go back to it someday. But my plan is to head off into in another direction after the after one more Promise Falls book. You know, and we kind of talked a little off the air, I guess, this is maybe a good time to bring it up, is another direction. You're kind of, like you just said, you're going into like another direction, but you're actually switching publishers. You're doing Mm -hmm. something else. You're not going to be with William Morrow. So what can you kind of tell us now how maybe, I guess you want to say, maybe like the next phase of your writing career is now going to be going on with a new publisher outside of Promise Falls, something totally different. Are you a little scared maybe too? A little worried? Well, just, is this going to be a great thing? I think it's going to be really cool. I think it's one of the best ideas I have ever had. And, uh, right. and of course, I still have the same publisher in the UK and another market, so this will just be another book for me for them. Um, but uh, but I am moving to William Morrow in the in uh, as a publisher in the US, and and so what I'll be giving to them for the first book will be something a bit different, which is what I'm writing right now. I'm doing the first draft of a book that I. I'm tentatively called and believe will always be called the typewriter. <laughs> and uh and we there was a slight mention of it in the sort of trade, you know, online trade things about the publishing industry about what it was about. And it's about and it might sound like a supernatural book, but that would be I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as that. People would that's kind of something that'll keep people guessing, but this is about a guy who acquires as a gift 
one of those beautiful old manual typewriters that we all remember. And I, not too long ago, I bought one, and I have it as a kind of just decorative piece of art, an old Underwood typewriter that's probably from the 40s, you know, black metal, weighs about the same as a Volkswagen. Um, it has the lovely sound of the keys, that wonderful ding when you get to the end and you hit the carriage turn. It's just a beautiful thing. And I remember, and I've had it for a while, and I keep looking at it and thinking, there's a really great story with this thing. And I thought, what if a guy acquired a typewriter that he came to believe once belonged to a notorious killer who had made his victims write letters of apology on it? And what if this same typewriter, this fellow, once he's who now owns it, and he goes through, you know, those lovely sounds that typewriters, old typewriters make, you know, the sort of as you're typing away on them. And what would happen if he began to hear that noise in the middle of the night? And that's sort of the jumping off point for the typewriter, which I think is, you know, when I told this idea to my UK editor, he said, that's it's kind of Hitchcock meets Stephen King this book that I that I want to do, and and I'm having a lot of fun writing. In fact, I've almost got the first draft done, uh, my own first draft, and then I'll go through it again and then I'll hand it in. But that's the that's the premise, and uh, so it's a bit different than the other things I've done. It's a totally a standalone piece, and um, and I'm having I think I think people will enjoy. It. I'm having a great time writing it. We might have had you on We might have to explain to anyone under the age of eighteen what a typewriter is, and then <laughs> well, you know, and there's a wonder. <laughs> well, there's a great very early in the book. There's a great scene, you know, where he's showing it to his son, who's like eight years old or whatever, and he's saying, and then the kid looks at him and says, "What does it do?" And he said, "You know, well, exactly. and he says, what does it do?" And he said, he, "And and." Uh, and and he show rolls in paper and so forth, and he's you know and and the kids sort of looking like when you start it's like it's like it's like a, a computer screen, but the printer's built in, you see, because once you start typing, it's already printing. Yeah, that's already part, printing. That's sort of to me that makes it revolutionary, you know. But but uh, but there is this scene with the kid thing, and what what does it do? And you know, and how can you if you want to take a break from writing, how do you watch a cat video? And um, so it's uh, oh, that's on the so, yeah. smartphone next to the typewriter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> sometimes, to be honest, I sometimes think it would be so much easier to do what I do now to just have a typewriter, because when you write on a machine that connects you to your email and to Facebook and to Twitter and too all many, sorts of every possible time waster in the world, that you know, it's a wonder I can get anybody, any of us, get anything done anymore. I know. I mean, I watch all these clips on YouTube, and I'm watching, you know, these things, and I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be working. Yeah, but i got to watch the next, you know, Black Jeopardy from SNL with Tom Hanks because I heard it was funny. <laughs> there goes another well, one. I mean, there, was, there was a thing trending on Twitter the other day, and, I mean, it got at the risk of offending anybody in your audience who feels a certain way, but there was this thing trending. If, which gonna, was, if we um, haven't offended them by now, you're not going to do it. Well, it was, the, it, was, it, was, it was the hashtag Trump book report, and it was summing up a novel as though it were a book report done by the presidential, you know, the guy running for the, for the presidency. And, 
and some of them were quite clever, and I thought, oh, I have to get in on this. And I mean, I think I lost it at least an hour and a half of work just trying to write funny things on 140 characters. I mean, I actually think yeah. the best one I did was uh, was there was this girl on the train. I sat next to her. I never touched her. Look at her. You tell me. That was it. <laughs> that was the book report. Well, <laughs> Written in crayon. I thought that's a girl on the train book report. That was not bad. Yeah. But anyway. But, you know, like these yep. immense ways to waste time, you know, that that's just I, like I don't know how we get anything done. But, I mean, at yeah, least I the, at least actually writing on a computer is a lot easier than a typewriter. I mean, I can remember when my early days in newspapers, and I worked on the, on the city desk at the Toronto Star, and, you know, we would literally, I mean, literally cut and paste stories together with tape and scissors and you know you would change the order of paragraphs and reorder it and I think it's a lot easier to just do it with a cursor and dip it around like that well since you've you've written mysteries you've written um, suburban thrillers and now I I wouldn't even know how to classify the last three to be honest um they're great thrillers, but w- how do you see yourself? There's a lot of suspense there. <laughs> how do you Sorry. see yourself in terms of what you write? When when a publisher asks you, well, what what do you write? What, well, what I do just you say? thrillers. I write thrillers, and I guess some people would add the add the the adjective domestic, because I write about regular people in you know in ordinary jobs who who live down the street from us. I mean they. I write about people that, that the kind of people that I know. You know, my heroes are teachers and car salesmen and gardeners and, you know, small town reporters. Like they're just they're not ex CIA agents, they're not, you know, forensic uh, detectives, they're not they're just people with regular jobs. So I don't know if that makes them domestic thrillers or what, but I still just think of them. I I like to write uh about Ordinary people who get caught up in extraordinary circumstances, who are completely unprepared in any way to deal with what's about to happen to them, and I like to do that because those are the kind of those are the people I know and those and I can identify with those characters. Like my inclination, if you know, if it were me and I got in a situation like the characters in my book, I would run. If I could run, I would just run. And and uh, so that's what I that's what I think I do. And uh, but I guess you know other. You know, maybe it's not up to me to judge them, but and, and categorize. Maybe other people will do that, but that's what I think I do. And well, you, and you do, do it, it well. Fascinating. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Lenwood. We want to let me again, give you the last word. Maybe you can kind of let everybody know uh, your Twitter and the best place to maybe find out if they want to contact you about the books or just ask you some real random questions about a book report that they have due, and maybe you can help them. Where's the best place Absolutely. to find that out? Actually, you know, I had I had a kid. I had a gun guy write to me one time, and he said, uh, "He said I'm just uh, I'm just 14 years old or 15, and I've got your book, No Time for Goodbye, and I have to uh, I'm doing a report on it that's uh, due tomorrow. I have not had a chance to read the book, so could you please tell me the names of the characters and the basic story outline, and I need it by tomorrow. So <laughs> it's always a, it's always a joy to hear from readers. Um, but I but okay, I well hold on. Found, Did you do it? I guess no, did uh, I don't think I had it. I just didn't think I got to that one, um, <laughs> but I just didn't have a chance. I was 
I was really tempted to write back and say that, yes, this thriller is about a clown that lives in the sewers, but I just <laughs> but uh Set in Derry, Maine. <laughs> that's right. But anyway, yeah. but if you're looking for me, uh, you can find me at linwoodbarkley.com. I have a Facebook author page, the Linwood Barkley page, and I am on Twitter, which is like Linwood underscore Barkley or whatever it is, one of those things. But uh, you can find me on any of those places. And I mean... Uh, and it, you can get a little bit of different. I mean, I can, you get these sort of smart-ass political crazy stuff sometimes on Twitter and book updates and other things on the author page and so forth. So it you know, depends what mood I'm in, which page I go to to, to express myself. Well, Lenwood, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute great time to talk with you. Wish oh, you it's been a pleasure. I hope, Good I, luck. You guys, hope I see you guys before too yeah. long at the next uh, big crime fiction convention. Oh, I'm probably sure. Thriller Fest will probably be the next one unless my wife gets me to go to Left Coast Crime, which I, isn't it in Hawaii this next, next 2017? I think so. I think? And and the next VoucherCon is in my backyard. It's in uh, Toronto. So Ooh, I'm cool. hoping oh. to get to... Might have to do yeah, that because uh, you know Kimberly Howe's up there, and she would like right. it to come up. I'm sure there too. Yeah. Oh yeah, that one's that's right good. in my backyard. It's, so I uh, hope everybody. It's will make a lot it better that. than going to Albany or Cleveland. I will tell you that. So. Well, I shall not pass any comment at all on those lovely cities. That's okay. I'll have no problem doing it. Cleveland, Cleveland does not rock. I lived in Ohio for 30 years, and I hated that freaking state. So I'm know. not I, a fan I, of Cleveland. I, I'm sorry I missed Albany. I heard the beaches there were fantastic. But, yeah, uh, so did I. I heard you could walk right on the water because the trash was really like a rock. <laughs> <laughs> all right, come to Toronto. Now. So. How, how many right, cities God, have hey, we just well, alienated? Thanks, guys. <laughs> yes, yeah. thank you. Don't even worry about it. I alienate them all the time. But, yeah, right. was, um, and, I, and I'm sure you'll be at Thriller Fest, so that's probably the next time that I'll be out. Um, I would imagine. Away from okay. my cave. Yeah. That sounds great, guys. So good. All right, all right thanks so much for joining book. us, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. So, again, everybody. Linwood Barclay, and the book is called The 23. Remember, the book is out November the 1st, so if you're hearing the show now or before November 1st, make sure that you set that uh, timer or pre-order it and get it ready, because then uh, if you listen to it after November 1st, go buy the book because it's available. So go on Amazon and pre-order it and get it ready right there. So, Jeff, we're going to do a a little 30-minute and cut short, but we're going to be back sometime, uh, we're going to be back in November around, I think it's what, the 15th is our next show, because I will be Correct, in Japan. Correct, and uh, Robert Masello is our guest. Robert Masello, yes. Uh, the Einstein Prophecy, I think, is one of his books, isn't it? Yes, and uh, The Jekyll Revelation yeah. is his latest. Yeah. And The Jekyll Revelation, yeah. So, um, and I'll be in Japan until the 11th of November, leaving on Friday for a couple weeks. So... Make sure you go to iTunes and, and get Suspense Radio so all the shows are right into your iTunes. Um, and you're going to be having fun the next two weeks without me? You're going to miss me? You're going to miss me, Jeff? Oh, I won't even know you're gone. <laughs> Seriously, right. have a great I time. Won't even, I, uh, yeah, okay. I, I, I didn't even have a good fucking comeback for that one. That was a good one. You did good on that one. You actually got it to where I was going to say something, and I'm like, well, that's a stupid comeback. I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> Have a great time. But, um, yeah, I will do. And, uh, again, everybody, so until next time, I guess happy Halloween and 
you know, happy presidential election. At least I will be in Japan when that happens. So if my candidate doesn't win, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump is the president, I will not be back. Um, and I will just stay over there, and we'll just do the show from over there. So there's my political All views right. on that. So now you know who I voted for, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's any great, you know. I think hopefully with me and the other 65% of the country, so it's not like it's a big revelation. Um, and I live in California, and if I don't vote Democrat, they kind of throw you out. They don't really like that over here. So, and that's the same way in Washington with you. So, you know, you, we have to stick to certain standards <laughs> in the state that we live That is what they in. tell us. Yeah, it is. All right, Jeff. Well, you have a good one, my man, and we will talk with you in, uh, I guess, well, it's three weeks from today that we'll be on Beyond the Cover again. So, All right. Sounds good. And that's about it. All right, everybody. See you then. Keep reading. Keep reading. Happy Halloween. Happy everything else. Bye-bye. <laughs> good night.